Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. And it is so good to be in person with you today. For those of you that do not know, last Friday night, I was playing Wii, uh, not Wii, uh, my kid's Nintendo Switch. We were doing bowling, and I got clumsy, and I found the floor. My head came into contact with the floor, breaking my glasses, giving me a gash on this eye, a scratch on this, and a swollen, shut eyeball. I texted Pastor Corey last Saturday morning. I said, well, a thing happened, and I told her, it's not looking great. And so as the day wore on and the eyes closed shut, I let her know even Saturday evening, I'm like, this is not a good look. And so last Saturday, Sunday morning, I got up and drove here to Orange with one eye and uh, made my way here, came in, was preparing things for communion, wearing my sunglasses, was going to give it a go, but fortunately she said, I got it, I'll take care of it. And so on that note, Pastor Corey was prepared to preach a message last Sunday, and I can't tell you how thankful I am uh, for somebody who is so competent and confident and willing to step up and to answer the call at a time of need. So thank you so much, Pastor Corey, and I'm so thankful that I did not. Yes. So as the week went on, I just didn't even know what you were going to be looking at today. Trust me, as bad as this looks... It's a whole lot better than it was. Uh, I did get it checked out. There's no orbital fracture. Uh, Did not require any stitches. It's just my pride is hurt probably more than anything else. But uh, I, I wish I had a better story. I really do. Somebody told me you should say that you had a bowling accident. Tim told me I should say that I had a virtual bowling accident. All I can say is you should see the other guy. And that makes me feel a little bit better, I guess. But it is good to be together, and it's good to be with you today. Let us pray. God of grace and God of mercy, I give thanks for the opportunity on this day for us to be gathered together here in this place, a place that you have prepared for us, a place that your spirit already dwells. And so as we come into this place, we can feel that presence. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us now in this time that we share together. Pour out that Spirit upon us in a way that refreshes us, recreates us, renews us, and reshapes us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. As we are 
into this summer series of oldies playlist. We're digging into some of those favorite Old Testament stories that maybe we learned when we were first children. We'd go to vacation Bible school and preparing over this for this series over the summer. It's funny because it's made me think back to the days when I was a child and my mom would sign my sister and I up for vacation Bible school at as many churches as possible. I don't know why. Maybe she just wanted a little bit less of us around. Maybe she wanted us to have those lessons imparted upon us. But mom would sign us up and we'd go around and I loved hearing the stories and learning those stories as a child. And many of those stories that we're going through over the course of the summer. And some of those stories I learned as a child, but as I became an adult, I never fully grasped the full depth of those stories and what it said to me. And so we're taking this time to, to reflect and be reminded of those stories and what God is still saying to us today. And as preparing for this, it's funny, it's made me think back to reminiscing about that period of time, thinking about the songs, the music that I like to listen to back in that time, even the, the TV shows and the movies that I like to watch during that time. And it's even made me think about my things that I like to do. Now, as a teenager, I spent those teenage years growing up in Wilmington, North Carolina. And if me and my friends were not at the beach on some kind of board, a boogie board or a surfboard, if I wasn't at the beach on a board, I wanted to be on my skateboard. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> I wanted to be on my skateboard, and me, John, and Raj would go all over Wilmington on our skateboards. We would ride everywhere that we could. We had so much fun grabbing our boards and going all over town, and it was only as we got a little bit older, we got a little bit more courageous, and we decided we wanted to get onto the ramps and begin to try to ride the ramps, but we were still new to what we were trying to figure out what to do, so first of all, we would start off on the bottom of the ramp, and we'd push and go up a little bit and then come back down and build up speed going back and forth on just these tiny little ramps. But the thing was, we knew about there was one ramp that was next to our neighborhood, a ramp at a guy's house. His name was Rex. That's a tough sounding name, isn't it? Well, he had a tough ramp. Everybody around knew about Rex's ramp. It was a 10-foot tall ramp, and the, the top foot of it was pure vertical. And so everybody wanted to go and try to skate at Rex's. And I would go, and my friends, John and Raj, we'd go. We'd have our pads. We'd have our helmet, and we'd get ready, and we'd get on there. We'd just start out down at the bottom. But we were just the little kids. We were the young ones. And so when the older guys would come along that knew what they were doing a little bit more, they'd come in and they'd climb the ladder to go up to the top of this 10-foot ramp. And they would put their board on the edge. Here's not going to do it. <laughs> they would step onto that board and they'd go down and they're up the other side and flying into the air and then coming down and going back up the other side. And we would watch them do this and we'd say, I want to do that. And so one day, I decided, I'm going to do that. And so I climbed the ladder to the top of this 12-foot ramp. It started off as 10, but every time I tell the story, it gets a little higher. 
As, as I climbed to the top of this ramp, I put my board on the edge and I said, I got this. I, I can do this. And my friends were like, you got this, Adam. And the, although John and Raj were trying to tell me before I climbed up the ladder, don't do this, Adam. But then once I was up there ready to do it, they were trying to encourage and affirm. And they were just telling me, people were telling me, make sure you step boldly, step fully, and that'll let gravity carry you down and up the other side. Okay. And so I was ready. I took a deep breath and I stepped, but not quite bold enough. And what happens when you don't step quite bold enough is that board, instead of me going with the board, the board went out from underneath me and my face and my body came down into contact on this 15 foot ramp that, and I slid all the way down to the bottom of this ramp and everybody came running down onto the bottom of the ramp, checking on me. Are you all right? You all right? I'm all right. I was in so much pain. I still have scar tissue on my hip from that fall, I believe, to this day. And so I come off to the side and other people started skateboarding up and down, up and down. And I'm over on the side and people are like, well, at least you tried. Good job. Way to go. And my friends, John and Raj, were saying, yeah, we're not even going to go up there and do that, especially not now. Well, I finally got my courage back up. And maybe it was... Uh, adrenaline or just me being a ridiculous teenager not that teenagers are ridiculous just I was at that age I decided you know what I'm going to give this another shot and so I go climb that ladder up the 20 foot ladder to the top of the ramp and I put that board on there and everybody told me all right make sure this time you really stomp down on the front of that board step hard and you'll go down and it'll carry you up the other side Okay, I was so shaking and trembling and terrified. But finally, I got up the courage and I stepped meekly and mildly instead of <laughs> boldly and courageously. And once again, just as the first time, that board slipped out from under me and I go crashing down, even though I was wearing a helmet, the exact same side of my face, believe it or not, dragged all the way down, which probably wouldn't have been so bad if my family was not getting ready to have pictorial directory portraits done that evening. So that was not a great thing when I got home and my mother saw the bruising and the rash, the burn on the side of my face and all the bruises, it was not a good scene when I got home. But I learned in that setting that you either had to go all the way or you didn't need to go at all. You had to go courageously, boldly, and step courageously, strong, or just don't even go at all. That was a lesson I learned, and it makes me think about those that have to step boldly, step courageously in life where they don't need to step at all. When I think about that, I'm reminded, it makes me think of how we have to step out of the safe zone and transition out of what is the comfort zone and into almost kind of like Top Gun, into the danger zone. But when we step into the danger zone, that's when we lean in on the faith zone. When I think of those who have made such a transition, I can't help but think of the story of Moses. You know the story of Moses. 
You learned it in VBS or children's Sunday school. You probably have a children's Bible still with the pictures. When Moses was born, his people were slaves in Egypt. And the Hebrew people had grown so numerous and so strong and vigorous that Pharaoh and the Egyptians began to be fearful. So Pharaoh issued an edict that all newborn males would be killed. But Moses' mother was not going to follow through with such an order. And so when Moses was born, you remember this story. Moses was born, he was placed inside of a basket, and they had covered the bottom of the basket with tar and pitch, and then she put the cover over the top and placed that basket in the river and sent him down the river, giving him a hope, a chance at life. And there, further down the river, was Pharaoh's daughter. And she and her servants were there with her as they were bathing. And they see this basket over in the reeds. And she calls for one to go and get the basket. She brings the basket to her. They open it up and immediately they know this must be one of the Hebrew children. Instead of having him killed, she took him. She took him as her own and raised him there in the royal palace. For the first 40 years of of Moses' life, he was living life in the lap of luxury. He was raised as an Egyptian. He was taught how to think like an Egyptian. He was taught how to speak like an Egyptian. You could even say he was even taught how to walk like an Egyptian. Some of you may remember that. It's an oldies playlist. He was taught all these things about life in Egypt, that he himself was an Egyptian. And then one day, the scripture tells us that Moses had gone out to look out over the people, seeing them toiling in their labors. And he sees something catching his eye. He sees there is an Egyptian who is beating upon a Hebrew man. And as he sees this, He knows that this is not right and something must be done. So Moses looks to his right, to his left, doesn't see anybody. And so he decides to take action. Moses approaches and strikes what the scripture calls a death blow. He strikes and kills this Egyptian man. And then he buries him. He covers him up, hides him in the sand. He thinks he's got away from it. Now it's interesting because the very next day, Moses goes back out looking out over the people in their toils in the land. Me, personally, I think I would have hung out in the palace for a little bit longer. But he goes right back out, almost revisiting the scene of the crime. This time as he goes out, he sees two others fighting. But this time, instead of it involving an Egyptian and a Hebrew, it was two Hebrew people that were fighting And he approaches, and he tries to break it up. Stop, guys, what's going on? And one who had been striking the other says, Who made you ruler and judge? Are you going to kill me? Do you wish to kill me the way that you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Moses knows now what he had done, he thought in secret, was known by others. And soon, Pharaoh finds out of what Moses has done. And so Pharaoh issues an order. He sought Moses to be killed. You know, think about this. In Moses' life, this is the second time that someone has sought to kill Moses. 
that Pharaoh has issued an order for Moses to be killed the first time when he was born, this, this time because he's taken the life of this other. And so Moses, he flees. He flees to Midian, and for the next 40 years, he spends his time there. His first 40 years as a prince in Egypt. The next 40 years in the wilderness in Midian. And there he marries, and he begins to be a shepherd. He takes care of his father-in-law's flock, his flock of sheep. You know, it's not royal living. It's not palace living. But it is what it is. It's comfortable. He knows what to expect one day from the next. Surely you would think he would get bored with it. But it could not have been that bad of a job to do every day. <laughs> he had a staff to work with. <laughs> Sorry, I just came up with that one. I'll stop. But he's a shepherd. You know that day has got to be so mundane. Day after day after day, the same thing. But one day, something different happens. He sees something off in the distance, a bright light. He sees a burning bush that is not yet being consumed. And so he turns and he goes towards it. And when he is there, God speaks. God speaks to him, tells him, take off your shoes. for You're standing on holy ground. And as he takes off his shoes, God tells him, I have heard the cries of my people. I have seen their toil and their labors. And I am sending you to deliver them. You know, that makes me think of one of those songs I learned back in vacation Bible school in the old days. Some of you may remember this too. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you don't know that one. <laughs> That's okay. God sent him to let his people go. But in the midst of all this, we've got Moses, who's in the, this incredible circumstance. Moses has been through this horrible past of, of someone seeking his life so much that he had to leave everything behind. And now he's settled into this normal, contented, discontent life. And now God is calling him to move into another phase. God's calling him to move into the danger zone. And it's in the danger zone where then he will fully understand what it means to live into the faith zone. I want to walk through this because I think we might be able to find ourselves somewhere in one of these places. Moses, to answer this call, to respond to what God is sending him to, Moses had to first overcome the experiences of his past. Moses had to overcome the experiences of his past. I mean, he grew up as royalty, living this life of comfort. As he grew up in the palace, it had to be as safe a place as possible. But when he finally took a risk to save the life of a Hebrew man, suddenly his life was thrown into complete peril. He is no longer in the safe zone. He has to flee from Pharaoh so that he would go to a land that he did not know. As he himself even said, I'm a stranger in a strange land. And then... God comes and God speaks. You know, when we're hurt, as Moses had to have been hurt, we don't like to get hurt again. I know I was the ridiculous one getting back up on that 30-foot ramp to try to go down again. But I had already been hurt. 
I did not want to be hurt again. When we are hurt by people or by circumstances, we've put up our guards. We don't want to experience that hurt again. It's kind of like when a child touches a hot burner for the first time. They don't want to touch the burner again because we don't want to experience that same kind of pain. When someone hurts us, we do not want to be in that position where we might be hurt again. I mean, you've heard the saying before, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We don't want to get hurt. And over time, we continue to hold on to that hurt. And moving past that past seems impossible. Our past failures, our past ways that we've fallen short. And if we aren't the ones reminding ourselves of it, someone else surely does. But for us to fully move forward in our faith, I think God's calling us to move past the experiences of our past. But then, as Moses is there content in Midian as the shepherd, spending these 40 years wandering around in the wilderness of Midian, tending to the sheep, God once again calls him. And the thing is, I imagine he's grown accustomed to his lifestyle there. He probably knew what he was going to do every day, tend to the sheep. We're going out into the fields once again. Every day was the same thing over and over. And you know what? When everything is the same thing over and over, we begin to grow comfortable. We grow comfortable in our present. Even though that comfort may be full of discomfort, we find contentment in our discontent. We find comfort in our discomfort. I know I've told this story before, but it always is one that reminds me that when my children were first born, Jennifer and I didn't have hardly anything. And so we wanted to buy a rocking chair. So we found at the cheapest furniture store we could a, a recliner rocking chair so that we could hold our babies and rock them to sleep and put ourselves to sleep as well. And we'd hold them and rock them. And it was such a cheap chair. And over the years, this thing began to fall apart. A spring had sprung. It was all lumpy and lopsided. But you know what? I knew how to sit in that chair. I could get just right. And it would hit the right spots. And I'd be comfortable in my discomfort. My dad came and visited one time. And dad sat down in that chair. And he said, what is wrong with this chair? I said, nothing, Dad. You just have to know how to sit in it to get comfortable. My dad said, son, I'm going to give you a check. And I want you to go to the furniture store and buy you a new chair. And I'm like, but, Dad, it won't sit like this one does. Exactly. That's why I'm giving you this check. And so we got that new chair and began to realize how comfortable it could truly be. You know what? So many times we get into our broken chairs in our broken lives and we learn a way to be comfortable in it. Maybe we're stuck in the same job. Maybe we're stuck in the same relationships. Maybe we're stuck in the same circumstances, but we're comfortable with it. The evil you know is better than the evil you don't know. And so we find ourselves staying put in that comfort that is so uncomfortable. I believe that God is calling us out of that discomfort. God is calling us to something more. And for Moses, God is calling him to something more than just tending to sheep. Instead of leading sheep through the wilderness, he's calling him to lead his people to a promised land. And sad is the day when we become so satisfied with the life that we're living, the thoughts that we're thinking, the deeds that we're doing, 
that there ceases to be a desire to do something greater for God. God is calling us out of that comfortable, safe zone. God is calling us to something so much more. So Moses had to overcome the experiences of his past. He had to overcome the comforts of his present. And now Moses has to overcome the insecurity of his future. When God tells him that, God, that he is sending him to do what Moses, all that Moses can do is throw up excuses and reasons as to why he doesn't need to be the one to go. Who am I to go? What shall I say to them? Who has sent me? What if they don't believe me? Each time that Moses throws up an excuse or a question to God, God answers him and reminds him not to have faith in himself, but to have faith in the God that is sending him. I love in Exodus chapter 4, if you go on and continue to read this negotiation that Moses is trying to have with God, Moses says how I have never been an eloquent speaker. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. And God replies, and I love God's reply. It reminds me so much of God's words to Job. Who gives speech to the mortal? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your, your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. I love how God says, step out of the experiences of your past. Step out of the comfort of your present. Step into the danger zone. Trust in me. Have this faith in me. Step boldly. Step courageously. And I will be your words. I will give you your speech. I will lead you. God's called him out into the danger zone. But I think that God is still speaking today. And I think for us that God is still speaking and calling us out of the experiences of our past, out of the comfort of our present, and out beyond the insecurities of our future. And I believe that's never going to happen until we step boldly. That we step with everything we've got, leaning on him, leaning into him, knowing that God still has a word for people today. And he may be calling you. He may be calling and sending you. And you may think, who me? Who am I? But God is still speaking love. God is still speaking justice. God is still speaking peace into the midst of the world. And maybe he's calling us. I believe that individuals, God is calling us. I believe as a church, God is calling us beyond what we are and to what he intends us to be. It reminds me, and I'll close with this, it reminds me of the first church where I was working. I was a youth pastor, and that church had a 15-passenger van, and it was used by all ages within the church, from children, youth, to adults. And that van was used all the time. However, we began to realize as the church was growing and programs were growing that we might need to expand. And so the question began to be, do we buy a church, another 15-passenger van to accompany us, or do we just go ahead and buy a big old bus for the church to use and we have excursions with all the different age groups. And I remember we had formed a study committee, a study team, and I had been a part of that. And at one of those discussions about these groups and what, where they would be going and who would be using it, someone speaking up, a wise man, well-respected within the church, he said, I don't see the need for us to buy a big old bus or even another 15-passenger van. 
Every trip we ever go on, we only have 15 people go. I thought about the logic of that. The logic of only 15 people going because it's only 15 people God is, that you could fill. God has called us to something more than what we are. God has called us to step out. God has called us to continue to grow, to continue to let the world know that he is still God. I believe God might be calling us as a church, as people, to step out of the experiences of our past, the comfort of our present, to step out of the safe and comfortable zone. Let's step into the danger zone that becomes the faith zone when we trust in him. Let us pray. Lord God, I give thanks that you are a God that continues to call out to us. As your people, Lord, I give thanks for the opportunity we have to respond to the incredible love that you have for us as demonstrated through Jesus Christ. But as we encounter these stories of old, may we also be reminded that just as you were then, you are now. And just as you were with Moses, you are with us now. So give us courage. Give us a boldness to step with confidence and faith, leaning into you, trusting in your leading. So God, may you continue to equip us with courage and with faith to follow you where you lead. We pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.